respond to reports of a missing person. The mother is on scene and requesting assistance. Unit 527 responding 1039. This is Over the Horizon and Far Away. Hello, hello. We are so excited you guys found us for another week. Welcome back to Over the Horizon and Far Away, a true crime podcast that covers cases of the missing and murdered that did not get the media attention they deserved. Today, I will be sharing the story of Jennifer Blackman. Now, I do want to give you guys a quick trigger warning before we get started. This episode does contain some discussion of domestic violence and murder, so viewer discretion is advised to those sensitive to the topic. Now, I want to start off by sharing a little bit about Jennifer. So Jennifer is actually the youngest of seven children, you guys. Seven children. Now, I currently have five, and I tell you what, we're bursting at the seams, and Some days I don't slow down from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed, so I could not imagine any more than the five I have, much less seven. So, like, kudos to Jennifer's mom, because that's amazing. You know, that house was never boring, and there was always something going on. Oh, absolutely. Now, she herself is also a mother. She actually has four kiddos of her own as well. Now, she was actually attending school while running two businesses. She had four kids, was going to school, and was running two businesses? That yeah. is incredible. I'm thinking she also never slowed down from the time that she woke up to the time that she went to bed. Yeah. <laughs> there was no downtime, I imagine. Now, she was known for always helping people. While speaking to NBS News, Jennifer's mother said she did a lot of things for people, a lot of good things. She's described as being a boisterous person and wanted more for herself and her children. You can tell she's worked hard. Absolutely. Her mother was quoted by Dateline as saying Jennifer was a very smart little girl. She was motivated to give her and her children a better life. Now, Jennifer's case takes place in River Rogue, Michigan. And I want to take a minute just to give you guys a little bit more information on River Rogue. So River Rogue is named after a river that actually runs on its northern border which then connects into the Detroit River. It is a pretty small town with a population of about 7,100 people as of 2021. Now, River Rogue is a suburb of Detroit, and Detroit is about 15 minutes northwest. Or I apologize, River Rogue is 15 minutes northwest of Detroit. Let's get our, you guys, I'm terrible with directions. (laughs) (laughs) Now, River Rogue is predominantly an African-American community with them making up nearly half the population. That's awesome. Yeah, again, I keep finding these random cases where we're kind of seeing that when we typically don't. So that is really interesting. Now, this mystery begins on December 22nd of 2020. But some important background information for the story is that Jennifer was actually in the process of divorcing her ex-husband and the father to her four children. They had been sharing a home, but Jennifer had recently obtained her own apartment and had moved into it with the children. She just sounds like such a go-getter. I just love that she was able to get her own place, get her kids a place. That's awesome. Yeah, she was not, you know, letting anything stop her for sure. Nope. Now, Jennifer was working for one of her businesses as a mobile notary during the time that it was believed that she disappeared. Now, according to NBC News, she was experiencing car trouble and actually had called her father to have him take a look at it. 
he told her to just park her car and borrow her daughter's car so that she could go on to work. And so that's what she did. She borrowed her oldest daughter's car and left to an appointment for work. Now, according to CrimeWire, the family reports she left the home around 7.55 p.m. and everything seemed fine. So right away, I'm like thinking, why are we doing like notary work so late? Like this is well outside our eight to five or like our nine to six hours. And so it's a little bit of a red flag to me just because you guys, you guys will learn as you get to know us through these episodes. I'm like worst case scenario thinker. <laughs> so I just am thinking, okay, why are we meeting somebody we don't know so late? It's just scary to me. So I think I was the red flag person very recently because I called up a notary and met at like 8.45 p.m. with them. Oh my. So apparently maybe it's just normal. What, <laughs> what did you need a notary for? Um, for some work for my new job. Oh, interesting. I mean, I guess maybe there's those scenarios and maybe I would feel better if like I knew more information about this meeting. It just makes me scared for her. <laughs> like I just, again, I'm like a worst case scenario person. Like you're meeting with a stranger you don't know. It's This is also like winter months, you guys, right? So we know that at this point it's dark because in the wintertime, it typically gets dark by like 5 p.m. It's awful. I and mean, so, yeah, with what we hear about her, like maybe she did think, oh, that's unusually late. But she was like, nope, this is my business. This is my money. This is how I make ends meet for my kids. I'm going to go do this. Yeah. And maybe it was somebody that was just, you know, called up and said, hey, I, you know, I'm really sorry that it's late. Like, I really need this done. Is there any chance? Like, this is what I get the documents and whatever reason it's something really important. I don't know. But yeah, I just, and maybe there was, I mean, I guess I could see it if they were planning to meet like, oh, let's meet at 8 p.m. at the McDonald's, like a public place. Like, and I hope that was the scenario. Cause again, you guys, it just makes me scared for her not knowing more about this. Oh yeah, absolutely. Now, a few hours later, this client actually reaches out to the family saying that Jennifer didn't make the appointment. Now I actually found this interesting because like, why would the client contact the family when she no showed? Like, how did she know the family? said it was a pretty small town, right? 7,000? I yeah. mean, that's not the strangest thing in the world. So I do wonder, was this like a complete stranger that she was needing to do the to do this notary service for? Or was it maybe somebody she knew? Because then that, again, changes the dynamic, right? Like that makes me less worried for her if she's like, oh, this is, you know, my friend so-and-so's friend's uncle or like whatever the situation, right? But it's not necessarily a complete stranger. And then in that case, it would be less, you know, concerning that we're meeting late at night with somebody but yes now jennifer's family did have initial worry as it was very out of character for jennifer to miss an appointment with a client without calling that client jennifer's mother may jackson hammer and other family members did try to call jennifer but there was no answer additionally they searched areas jennifer was known to frequent but nothing really came of those it seems like initially the family was worried, but like kind of in that state where we're like, okay, let's try not to panic. Like maybe we're overthinking this. Like, and again, you guys, we see that so much on these cases where the family's like, okay, let's not, you know, start panicking just yet. You know, let's give them time. Surely they're going to pop up. Like the bad things don't happen to us. Kind of that general mind frame. Especially with the adults. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and part of that too was um, Jennifer and her mom had actually been Christmas shopping um, the earlier that day. And so they had actually had a plan 
that Jennifer was going to return to her home the following day so that they could wrap those um, presents for Christmas for the kids. Now, something that I wanted to mention as well um, is that as I was researching, the first news article that I could even find wasn't even written until March 21st of 2021, which is three months after she disappeared. Like for me, this is incredibly frustrating because we know how important it is to begin to begin looking for missing people as soon as possible. And then I could only find like a handful of news articles in total from the first time um, that she went missing or from that very first news article to September of 2023. Again, so frustrating, you guys. And that's why we're covering these cases, right? We want these ones that haven't had a lot of media attention so we can get them some more attention. But like, it's also frustrating at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it can be hard to find information at all, which is why we're covering it. But it's hard. Yeah, if we if people don't know about it, how can they be on the lookout for these people? Mm-hmm. Or if somebody knows that something happened to them and they're covering for somebody else, like maybe hearing this is what makes them come forward or whatever. So truly the media attention can be very important for cases. Now, it's reported that Jennifer was last seen in the 500 block of Fraser Street, an area her family says they were unsure why she would be in. However, then in a Fox News article, it states that that's actually the neighborhood that she had previously lived in with her ex-husband. So that's like, yeah, a little bit of mixed information. Like, that's super unclear. Now, I did do Google Street View of the location to kind of get a better understanding of the location. You guys know I like to do that. I want to be able to kind of visualize as best I can on these cases. And it absolutely is like a residential neighborhood. Um, But this address is actually going to pop up again. So just like keep it in the back of your mind. Now, in my research, I learned that Jennifer's brother, Aaron Hammer, had actually shared with reporters that the police had been called to the couple's home in the past. Now, he referenced the police being called the day that Jennifer had moved out of the home and then again in September. So Aaron said that the police were aware that there was something happening between Jennifer and her husband. Now, he didn't go into detail on that, but that definitely gives me the vibes that it's of a violent nature. There's probably domestic violence um, or some sort of dispute that escalated something like that if we're, you know, getting the police involved. It's never a good sign. No, absolutely not. Now, Aaron seems to be pretty active in the search for his sister alongside Jennifer's daughter, Amante. They seem to be kind of the two main people who have been providing information to the press on Jennifer's case. Aaron also shared that he had hired a private investigator, which subsequently provided some really good information about the time frame for Jennifer at the time that she went missing. Now, this private investigator actually discovered that Jennifer's last phone call was, in fact, to her ex-husband. So all the signs are pointing right there. Oh, absolutely. Additionally, the last ping allegedly came from that house on Fraser, where she was last seen. So again, that home is popping up in the story again. From what I could find, police have not confirmed that information, and so, and there was not a lot else available. So I'm curious to know how they obtained that information. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe as we're transitioning from one home to the other, you know, 
Jennifer potentially got on mom's phone plan or brother's phone plan. Shoot, me and my brother still share a phone plan. Um, And so it's absolutely possible that that was the scenario. And then perhaps Aaron or mom or somebody was able to easily get those records on her phone. Because usually we've seen that kind of be a hiccup in the past where, you know, the phone companies don't want to share that without a warrant. And then police or, you know, law enforcement doesn't want to get that warrant. Now, I could not find exactly when, but the car Jennifer was driving that belonged to her daughter was located. And when they found it, there was no trace that Jennifer was ever in the car. No left behind belongings or anything. And they have never been able to find her phone either. That's so eerie. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Now, in a November 2021 article in Fox 4 News, Aaron reported... They don't, they don't have any leads right now. They are turning over some evidence to the Michigan State Police because we turned in a laptop back in August. At this time, police still haven't named a person of interest. I kind of have a person of interest in mind. Girl, same. Same. Now, I was, of course, really interested in the sex husband. I think we're all kind of thinking the same thing. Like, um... He seems like the clear, <laughs> the clear person to start um, looking at, especially if domestic violence was in fact an issue. You know, we've talked about it before. The most dangerous time for a victim of domestic violence is when they leave the relationship. And that is oftentimes when something really bad happens, like they're murdered. And now here we are. Now, you may be wondering why I keep referring to him as the ex-husband and not by his name. And that is because for the life of me, I could not figure out his name. I Googled everything I could possibly think of to like try to track down a marriage license in Michigan for them. Um, I went to down, I don't even know how many Facebook rabbit holes. Like I just was not able to find anything on this person. Like I was able to find Amante and Aaron and I like one other child on um, using, utilizing Jennifer's Facebook and so then I looked on there because I thought surely one of the kids would maybe have him on nothing I could not find anything it was so frustrating because I would have loved to have done a deep dive into this man it's also actually really weird to me that like his name was never mentioned in any of the news articles either and usually like if I can't track it down a lot of times they can so I found that very very interesting So, I mean, he clearly isn't a concerned party that is working hard on behalf of Jennifer and trying to locate her. If anything, I would say that he's working very hard to stay out of the spotlight, and that makes me incredibly suspicious of him. Now, there was a Facebook post by family members that referenced that this ex-husband was providing little assistance police, but no other information could be found on what that really looked like. So I'm guessing it's been very minimal. I'm sure it was maybe a very basic statement. You know, I don't know anything. I haven't seen her since this date, like whatever, but it doesn't sound like he's too invested in finding her, unfortunately. Now I did reach out to the River Road Police Department to try to get more information or updates, but I have not had any luck being able to speak to anybody. Dateline actually also noted in their article that despite numerous attempts, they had no luck reaching anybody at the police department either. That's interesting. They're like a huge media outlet. Yeah, that's why I put that little tidbit in there because that also caught my eye. And I thought, 
That is really weird. So one of two things, this makes me think one of two things is happening here, right? So one, perhaps they do in fact know more than they're, you know, wanting to tell anybody and whatever. And I certainly hope that's the case. And that at some point in the future, something will come of that and we can have some closure on this. But the alternative, and unfortunately, the more likely reason for that is that they're just not doing anything. Because I think if they were doing something, even if nothing was coming of it, if they were at least trying, we would have some sort of media coverage on what is happening. Yeah, I would agree with that. Typically, in our cases with involved law enforcement, like they're calling for the community to come out to look for her, calling for some information, something. Now, I did reach out to both Aaron and Amante via Facebook, but, um, and just kind of let them know, like, we're, you know, we're hoping to, or we are going to be doing this podcast on Jennifer's case. Like, we'd love to have you guys a part of it, you know, kind of the usual, but I didn't get a response from either of them, unfortunately. So I hope that if they do hear this episode, that they'll contact us and we will happily do a follow-up episode and provide more information to everybody. In summary, it really seems like Jennifer just disappeared. It appears that the River Road Police Department has done nothing to search for her or get answers of any kind regarding her disappearance. It would appear to me that the ex-husband is a very likely person of interest, but despite that, it would appear nothing has been done to investigate him either. I also want to stress that Jennifer had four children, you guys. The family is sure that under no circumstances would she just up and leave her children. Now, May was quoted in one news article stating Jennifer would fight to get back to her kids. Now, I do have an unfortunate update to share with you guys. I did locate an obituary for May in my research. Uh, it would appear that she passed away on December 5th of 2022, just a few weeks shy of the two-year anniversary of Jennifer's disappearance. So she had no answers as to what happened to her daughter. That always just breaks my heart that you'd pass on not knowing what happened to your child. I tell you what, guys, it was really awful when I found that because at that point, like, I was actually trying to, like, search out contact information for May. And, like, I'd found, like, an old Facebook. Actually, I think I found more than one old Facebook and whatnot, and I could tell it was old, so I didn't even bother. And, but I was, like, trying to find an address, a phone, like, anything to try to get some sort of information to her. And then I stumbled upon the obituary, and I was like, oh, no, like, this is so heartbreaking. So, um, Jennifer's friend, Nikki Brown, has also assisted the family in searching for Jennifer. Uh, she was talking to people, pushing, like, missing persons flyers on Facebook and just trying to keep the focus on Jennifer's case. Now, I stumbled upon a really interesting news article done by ABC Detroit News while I was researching crime stats for this case. And I think kind of in general, like the reason I was intrigued by the crime stats and wanted to include it is because I do think like in general, kind of Detroit's like reputation is that it is known for like the high crime rate being very drug ridden and like those sorts of things. Um, I think it's even like almost always like in the top five to 10, like most dangerous places to live in the U.S., um, I found a list that I think was like 2021 or 2022, something like that. And it was like number two or three, I think, um, for most dangerous places to live. So I was super interested to see what I could dig up regarding the crime in Detroit. 
Now, this article was published in January of 2023 and talked about the crime rates of 2022. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I had mixed feelings um, about these rates, and you're going to kind of see why as we go through them. Now, according to this article, there's been 11% overall reduction year to year in violent crimes. So like right off the bat, I'm thinking, oh my God, like this is great. Like we're the t- we're trying to clean up the town. Like we have, maybe we have more resources, more things, like whatever. We're trying to make it better, right? But hold on to that feeling because it does not last. <laughs> now, cases of rape were down 15% and robberies were down 7%. But an aggravated assaults also down 11%. Great. Loving those stats. And then it goes on to say that there were 309 murders in 2022, which was up from the previous year. Now, cases of criminal sexual conduct were also down to down 15%. Glad to hear that. Uh, but then carjackings were up 260 from last year, um, which it was 214 the prior year. So quite a big jump there. That's what, like 20% roughly? Yeah. Some quick math in my head. Um, The Detroit police chief, James White, was also quoted in this article. He said, according to him, juveniles are engaging in more violent crime. Teenagers as young as 14 and 15. Beefs and conflict over social media. That is like actually really incredibly concerning to me because... I always say it like these kids are our future and we have got to do better by them. Like it is wild to me to hear of like kids just essentially running around like they're little adults doing really making very adult choices that impact, you know, the remainder of their life in a very negative way. The conflicts over social media thing. Like I really just wish that there was a way that we could make it so teenagers as a whole did not have access to social media. Yes, I will tell you guys, I have a 13-year-old and she wants all the social media and I will not give it to her. None of it. She doesn't have Facebook, no Instagram, no Snapchat, no TikTok, no nothing. Because I just, it really is a can of worms that we're learning to navigate because generations prior to us didn't have it. There's just no good that ever comes of it. Now, the police chief also mentioned the year ended with 105 less non-fatal shootings than last year. So I I thought that was interesting. And I love that we, you know, specified non-fatal. So somebody got shot, but they didn't die. So that's good, I guess. Now I will share that link for you guys on the socials. So definitely go check it out. I found the article incredibly interesting. Again, just because I like to kind of better understand the areas that these people go missing or murdered at. um, Just because I do think sometimes it can shed some light on some cases for sure. Now, I did try to find some stats specifically on domestic violence, but I didn't have any luck. I did see, though, that Wayne County has a special victims unit at the prosecutor's office. And then within that unit, there's actually a domestic violence unit. So to me, that's kind of an indicator that reports of domestic violence are likely really high if we need a whole separate set of people to deal with those charges. Now, while we don't know what exactly happened to Jennifer, it is important that we are sharing her case and people are staying vigilant in the search for her. Jennifer was last seen on December 22nd of 2020 on the 500 block of Fraser Street in River Rogue, Michigan. She was 35 years old, but would be 38 years old today. 
She is described as an African-American female, five foot, five inches, and 130 pounds. She was last seen wearing a black trench coat with a scarf. She has hazel eyes and was wearing extension braids that were brown and black, but her natural hair color is brown. Jennifer has a scar on her bottom lip and on her right eyebrow. Crime Stoppers is offering a cash reward of up to $2,500 for information leading to an arrest. Submitting a tip is anonymous and the reward is given when an arrest is made. You can call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-SPEAK-UP or visit 1-800-SPEAK-UP.org. Now, it's always important to us to share some resources for anyone going through similar things as the people we're going through that we cover in these cases. So I want to take a moment to highlight a Michigan-based domestic violence resource. First Step provides outreach and support services to victims of domestic violence. If you are in Wayne County, if you're in the Wayne County area and you are experiencing domestic violence or know someone who is, please reach out to First Step at 734-722-6800. If you are not in the Wayne County area, help is available to you as well. You can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or text START to 88788. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can find the source material in the show notes. To show your support, please leave us a review on the platform you're listening on. This is the best way to support us, and this is what pushes our podcast out to new listeners. You can subscribe on Patreon. We are on Patreon as Over the Horizon and Far Away. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Over the Horizon and Far Away. If you would like to submit a case for us to cover, you can email us at overthehorizonandfaraway at gmail.com or you can find our case submission form on any of our socials. We will see you guys next week. Bye!